You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Right, Merry Christmas, 5 p.m. service. Merry Christmas. Wouldn't you greet the person seated next to you? Merry Christmas. All right. So when we talk about Christmas, no, I don't know about you, but some of us will immediately think of Jose Marichan, <laughs> Whenever I see, I didn't Girls and boys actually, na church Girls and boys selling lanterns. Anyway, sometimes even if some of us would know, whenever we think about Christmas. We usually think of our Christmas bonus, right? How many you receive your Christmas bonus? Those working professionals, right? Bless the Lord, right? Some of us, when we think of Christmas, we think of a time of fellowship, no? a time for us to spend time with our family, isn't that right? If our siblings or our family is living from far away or working from a different nation, they would come, sometimes come here and, you know, spend Christmas with us. Sometimes for some of us, Christmas would be a time of, time of forgiveness, a time of selflessness, isn't that right? I would be giving gifts instead of receiving them. And to a certain degree, some of those things are right, but we understand as Christians, it means much more than that, right? Christmas means more than that. In fact, it is receiving the greatest gift God has given us, which is Himself, right? For this series, we'll be unwrapping that present in hopes that, number one, we will receive that gift, or for us, at least for some of us, we'll receive that gift for the first time, and we get to understand the real reason for this season, and secondly, our second goal for the series is that for those who already have that gift, we will have a greater appreciation that will lead to a greater worship to our Lord. Amen? Right, so my prayer is that as we go through this text in John 1, uh, we won't be familiar as we, you know, read this text. That being said, when we stand in respect and reverence to God's Word, I'll be reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. It says here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. From the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. This is quite a lengthy, lengthy text, and it's very rich, so it's impossible for me to exegete and expound on each and every verse, but I'll try to cover as much as I can. Probably mga five verses lang ani. Right? So today, no, our focus is on the Word becoming flesh, right? And my goal for today is simple lang. It's this, to make much of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my goal for today, is to make much of Him, about who Christ is, to be better understanding, even for a little bit, no, uh, on the beauty and the majesty and the authority on, of the power of Jesus. 
Today we've just read a text on John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18, and it's actually a, a, to a certain degree, it's like a prologue or a preface of the book of John. Now, how many here loves reading books? Wala, you don't, you don't read books. I'm sure some of you do love to read books. Now, I'm not sure if I'm Koraba ang inani, pero ako a type of person that would read, if I remember I read a book, like from page to page, like even among a so na, mga author's preface, ang basahon, table of contents, ang basahon na for some reason, I don't know why. And I feel like I can't finish, wala nang human ng book if I don't read those things. So I read the author's preface, the publisher's date, mga beloved to my beloved wife, my children, ano ba? Mga, mga, mga author's notes. I love reading those things, mga published in, bababula, ISBN, 1274, you know those things. So, so have you wondered what the purpose, what's the purpose of mga preface the book? Have you ever wondered what's the purpose of your preface of a book? Now, the purpose of a preface or a prologue is number one, is to provide the context of the book, right? A provide historical context on what the book is about, what the book will talk about basically, right? It also establishes the main thrust of the book, a preface, right? It's interesting because the book of John, unlike the other books or the gospel accounts, what is a book of genealogy, like Mark or like Matthew, rather? Now, okay, from from Abraham had a son, or blah, 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 blah. It's not like that, right? There's no genealogy account. There's no manger story. There's no shepherds. There's no Bethlehem, all right? Instead, what we have here, right on the onset, talks about the deity of Christ or the supremacy of Christ. And this is the entire reason why John wrote this book or the gospel according to the book of John. He actually explains it in John chapter 20, verses 30. It says it this way. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples which had written this book. But look at this one, verse 31. But these were written so that, come on now, so that you may believe, right? So that you may believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name, all right? So His audience were primarily the Jews and the Greeks, right? Of course, the church. So the Gospel of John was written... For what purpose? To awaken the unbelievers to the gospel and to sustain the believers. Right? Catch that? To awaken the unbelievers and to sustain the believers. So if, I want you to have it in mind while we read this John chapter 1 verse 1. Right? So let's go back to the main text. It says here, John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we jump to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I think all of us can agree that the word reference here is Jesus. Right? Jesus is the word here. So here's the question: why is Jesus referred to as the word? Of all the things, why is he referred to us as the word? If you look at the original text, its meaning means logos, right? Logos which is a word, a speech, or divine utterance, all right? So again, who was his audience on index, the book of John? The Jews and the Greeks, all right? Now, he had a very interesting word of choice here why John used the word logos or the word word, right? Because it's actually both familiar and in fact important to both Jews and the Greeks. The word logos was both important and familiar to Greek philosophy and Jewish thought, all right? In fact, much like in, let's say, see Paul in Acts 17, he actually used what is familiar sa ilang, sa ilang palibot to, to preach the gospel sa mga people around him. 
I have here an example in, 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 in Acts 17. It says it this way, Paul, in the midst of Areopagus, said, Man of Athens, and si Paul, I perceive that every, in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed your objects of worship. I also found at an altar within the inscription to an unknown God. Anasya. What therefore your worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So what, what did Paul do there? Something that is familiar to the statue of an unknown God. Anasya Paul, that unknown God, I will preach him to you. So he used that as a springboard to preach the gospel. To a certain extent, I think John did the same thing here in John chapter 1. He used something similar to the Greeks and the Jews to preach the gospel to them, to explain Christ to them. Alright? So if we go back to John chapter 1 verse 1, it says here, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. So now, what does the Word mean to mga first audience, mga Greek philosophers? Alright? So when they read the word logos, what comes to their mind? If you are a Greek philosopher then, you get to understand that Logos was reason or logic. It was their abstract force that brought about order and harmony in the universe. Munang Logos ila. So whenever, whenever they try to explain about what's happening in the world around them, they would attribute it to Logos. Now for the Jews, something similar. The word, or the word of God is often personified as an instrument for execution of God's will. What do I mean by that? I have an example here in Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent out His word and He healed them. He delivered them from destruction. So God's sending out His word and in this word is healing them. Right? Psalm 33, another personification here of, of the word, word. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. Another example, Psalm 147, verse 15. He sent out His command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Another personification there. So when the Jewish listeners heard about the word, they were reminded of Old Testament where the logos or the word of God is associated with the personification of God's revelation. You're catching so far. Right? So important and basically, my point is important on the word the logos to both the Jews and the Greeks. But here's the thing. The word that John talks about here is far weightier than those things. It's far weightier than those things in what sense? More than just logos, like in Greek philosophy, where bringing order and harmony, he talks about God's word who spoke the universe into being. He talks God's word, he talks about God's word who when he spoke, things came to be. More than just personification of God's revelation, he talks about God's perfect revelation of himself in the flesh. This simply, friends, this simply means that the word here talks about Jesus in the flesh. It says here in Colossians 2 verse 9, it says here, For in him, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily. The fullness of Christ the fullness of deity, the fullness of God dwells in bodily. Another verse in Hebrews chapter 1, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So whenever we talk about Jesus Christ, it's not as if Jesus Christ is 50% man and 50% God. No, it's not like that. There is a hati human, hati God. No, Right? He is 100% God, fully God, but also fully man. Right? 
that in a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now process this thought with me, alright? God, in perfect harmony with and love with the Son and the Spirit, God said, let there be, and it was so, all-powerful, full of wisdom, eternal in nature. That same God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Took on the discomfort of flesh, lived as a, born as a baby in a manger. And for what? Ultimately to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus is not just any man, church. Jesus is God. Not convinced? All right, let's go at it again. Let's go back to verse 1 in John chapter 1. It's very interesting, you know, you know, phrase today. It says here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Another, another bold claim that John makes here is that he begins affirming that Jesus is the very creator of the world. Catch that? If you notice, if you, if you go, if you go, if you notice the, the first line there, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was, come on now, was the word. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, what do you have there? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That seems familiar. So whatever the Jews was reading this text, wait a minute, this seems familiar. He was referencing what? The creation itself. John simply replaced the word in the role of, simply replaced in Genesis chapter 1, the word God with the word. You know what this tells me? Jesus, rather John presents Jesus not as a creation, but the creator himself. Meaning Jesus didn't begin to exist at conception or at birth in Bethlehem, but existed since eternity past with God, is God. In fact, he further hammers his point in verse 3. It says here, all things were made through him. All things in this world was made through him. All things from, from the sun to the moon to the stars to the plastic that you're sitting on right now, all of those things were made through him. From the, from the very bodies of water to the air that we breathe, from anything visible and invisible to the naked eye, all of those things were created for him and through him. I love how John repeats this. If you read this in the NASB, he says it this way, all things came into being through him. And guess what? Apart from him, apart from Christ, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In the NLT, he says it this way, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. John makes it explicitly clear, church. Everything under the category of made, Christ made it. Jesus made it. The Son was there before the beginning of time. This, was, this means that God being eternal, having no beginning, no end, is the what? It's an uncaused cause. As some philosophers would say it. Colossians 6, 1, verse 16 says it this way. For by Him, by Christ, all things were created, right? In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones, the dominions, or rulers, or authorities. And look at this one. All things were created through Him and for Him. 
And He is before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. What's my point? It's very simple. Jesus is not just another prophet. Jesus is not just another rabbi. He is not just another influential man. No. He is eternal. He is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. Jesus is God. And if you understand that, if you did your reading in verse 4, look at this one. In Jesus or in Him was life. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, the light and life here are intertwined. On verse 4, now before we talk about these two things, let's talk about darkness for a while. Right? Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. It's very interesting. The light shines inside the darkness. This is a glimpse of what the world is today. So it's not as if the world today is a bright room with some dark spots in it, some bad spot. No. The world today is what? It's filled with darkness. Right? We have a light, but we are inside a dark room. The world in its fallen state, church, is one big dark room. Christmas, manunta, Lord, pero ano? Ah, ang papa, mama, dili mo uri. Ako ra isa. Or Lord, season of joy, manunta, karon, pero ano man, dili ko lipay, ang mga may sad. Wala kayo makaon. May pastor, Lord, makaspend time sa love one. This world filled with darkness is not just filled with sin, it's even a parading sin. It's applauding it. Hopelessness is so rampant, it's physically suffocating you. Death, disease, disappointments are in every turn. The earth is filled with darkness, and yet, and yet, and yet, in spite of all of those things, Scripture tells us, the light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. We can't have hope, church. It says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. And guess what? And the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome the light. I love how the NLT puts it this way. The darkness can never extinguish the light. Yes, we might be enveloped in darkness. Pain and sorrow might overwhelm us, but we can be assured of this, church. The darkness can never overcome the light. The darkness can never overcome the light. The light will always triumph in darkness. Light will always triumph in darkness. Ultimately, we understand that this light is not us. It is who? The Word. Jesus. God. Ultimately, Jesus is victorious over all these things. We'll get back to that thought in a while. Let's go to verse 9. Let's jump to verse 9. It says, See the true light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, 
If the world did not know Him. It's very interesting. The word there is, it says in verse 9, there's a true light. It gives you a picture of that. There is also false lights in this world. Have you ever, have you ever have that? Have you ever bought mga baratawan na Christmas lights? Di ba, masa may tabo? Maguba, mapunder, mawala siya rin, di ba? Why? It's not authentic, it's not good. There are false lights in this world, church, that will try to give us hope, but ultimately it will fail us. It's only true light that gives light to everyone, and that's the Lord. It says here, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, but guess what? The world did not know Him. He came to His own, and guess what? The, his own people did not receive Him. Isn't that interesting? We just talk about Jesus is God. How He's eternal, all-powerful, merciful, loving, all those things. We learn that He is victorious. That even if He is enveloped by darkness, the darkness cannot overcome Him. Yet, in, yet in spite of all of those things, instead of the people running towards the light, why in the world? Did they reject Him? Why in the world did they not receive Him? For the tweak the question, why in the world did you reject the Lord? John 3 gives us an answer. And in this judgment, the light has come into the world. Jesus has come into this world was born in a manger. And pe- but however, it says here, and people love the darkness rather than the light. They love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. They enjoyed rebelling against the Lord. They enjoyed living in their own sin. They enjoyed gratifying themselves rather than honoring the Lord. Rather than running towards the light, they find their own source of light ultimately does not stand. How come? The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Another reason was that for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light. Why? And does it come to the light lest his works should be exposed? So they don't come into the light, not just because they love their darkness, they love their own sin, but because when they step into the presence of God, when they step into the presence of the light, guess what? Their own filthiness is revealed. Their own wickedness is revealed. do not come into the light lest their works would be exposed. So in essence, you are taken captive by darkness. You know what that means? You know what that means? Church, you're not a bad person. You're an evil one. Your thoughts are evil. Your ways are evil. Your works are evil. As scripture would put it, you are of the devil. You are the son of the devil and you love that. But it's not the end of the narrative, amen? 
It's not the end of the narrative. We understand that Jesus came here. John, John chapter 1, verse 14. Right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have hope. We have reason for joy. This is the reason for this season, church. The reason why we can have joy in spite of the darkness around us is that we have joy. We have Christ. We have the baby in the manger. We have hope. We look at the birth of Christ, the incarnation of God. We look at the crucifixion, the sacrifice of God. We look at the resurrection, the proof that He is God. Yes, you have problems at Trabalari, at Trabaho. You have struggles here and there. Wala kay kwarta para even pang enjoy pang Christmas. But guess what? As a believer, church, want you to understand this. You can still have joy in the midst of all those pains. Because God has given us His one and only Son to die on the cross for your sins. At our greatest and deepest and most desperate need that you could ever have has been met by the Lord. Your, skin, your sins, which has made you as red as scarlet, Scripture tells us because of Christ, we have been made as white as snow. At our sins, which have separated us from the Lord, our sins, that very same sin that separates us from God, Scripture tells us that He has removed it from us as far as east is from the west. Christ bore our sins and imputed in us His righteousness. That's why we can come before the Lord and worship Him today. That's why we've been removed from the kingdom of darkness, from the sons of disobedience into the kingdom of light, from the sons of light. Christ's resurrection from the grave proves that He is victorious. He indeed defeated sin and death. And after all these things, even if church, our, our Christmas ain't it's not that even if, even if physically speaking your prayers aren't answered even if all those things are true at the end of the day when we draw our last breath we can have hope we can have hope that we'll come home to our Heavenly Father who is waiting for us John 12 46 says it this way I have come as light to the, into the world Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. May not remain in darkness. Jesus breaks us free from the dominion of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of light. He's indeed the light of the world. Now for the unbeliever, when they see the light, the light exposes their deeds and guess what? They hate it. But to the believer, the light exposes their deeds and they repent of it. They run to the Lord. Verse 14, let's continue. It says here, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt among us, or the phrase dwelt among us there, its original language means skinu, Right? It means to pitch a tent, to dwell. Right? So if you read John 1.14, you can actually read it this way. And the Word or God became flesh and dwelt among us or He pitched a tent among us. 
or he tabernacled with us. That's what dwelt means, to pitch a tent, to tabernacle. You know what a tabernacle is in the Old Testament? Before there was such a thing as a temple, there were tabernacles. Before there were temples, you could go to the Lord in the Old Testament to sacrifice and to worship the Lord. Before there was such a thing, there, was, there were tabernacles. Whenever we talk about tab- tabernacles, it is a temporary place of worship in which the Israelites used while they were wandering in the desert. So while they were wandering in the desert, they were bringing their stuff, they were bringing a tent. Ang tent, that is a tabernacle. And the priests would offer sacrifices to God for the people inside the tabernacle. So in short, if the people would want to draw near the Lord, they had to go to the tabernacle. They had to go to the temple. You're catching that? What this Christmas story is telling us, what John 1 verse 14 is telling us, that Jesus is our tabernacle. If you want to go to the Lord, if you want to approach God, we can approach Him by virtue of Christ. As a matter of fact, you just said that about in John 2.19 that you said about a temple if it is destroyed that if this temple is destroyed he will raise it back in the three, after three days. Exactly what he did on the cross. After, he, after the temple was destroyed after Christ was crucified after three days guess what? He resurrected. He is the temple. He is our tabernacle. Herman Riverboss said it this way Jesus is also the temple that will replace the existing temple and in whom the indwelling of God among people will be truly and fully realized. In short, if we are if you are to draw near to the Lord, it's only possible to Jesus Christ alone. How do, we, how do we do that practically? With the Word. With the Word of God. It could be in our quiet times with the Lord. In this worship service. In our victory groups. In our one-to-ones. Prayer and fasting. That's how we draw near to the Lord. Let me clarify, the only reason why you can, you can get to do those things in the first place is because God has given you the grace to do so. Let, let me prove it to you. Let, let, let me read verse 12. Let's go back to verse 12. But to all who did receive Him. So remember the first one? Those who did not receive the Lord, they rejected Him. But to all who did receive Him, I hope and pray it's you and I today, to those who did receive Him, who believed in His name, who believed in His work, that He is God, that He is, He died for our sins, and He resurrected from the grave, to all who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become the children of God. In verse 13, look at this one. Who were... It's blinking here. But all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, who gave Him the right to become the children of God, look at this one. Who were born not of blood... Not because they were just Jews who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, not because of your own works. If I do this, I do that, maybe God will accept me to his kingdom. No! Not by blood, not by your flesh, not even by the will of man, 
But Scripture tells us, but by the will of God. In short, friends, our adoption is by the grace of God alone. The reason we get to worship God is because He gave, he gave His Son to die on the cross for our sins. Without that act of grace, if you ask me, He didn't, didn't man require the Lord to send His Son. In fact, requires the Lord to punish us for our sins. But God in His mercy and His grace gave His Son, gave Himself to die on the cross for our sins. It's a great encouragement for all of us. That if God has started this redemptive work in our lives, the only tells us that He will see it through. Amen. That He who began a good work in us, Scripture tells us, He is faithful to bring it to completion. Let me end with this verse in Colossians 1 verse 13. Now, if you are in Christ, now if you have believed, this verse is for us. He, to Jesus, has delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.